Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of Ephesians with the beginning of chapter 4. In the final three chapters of Ephesians, we're going to see what to do in light of all that God has done for us in Christ. This next passage has unity as its theme. This biblical unity is not an external thing, nor it is something mechanical. It is internal and organic. It is supernatural. It cannot be superimposed on people apart from the life of Christ. It springs from the power of Christ indwelling each believer. It is a spirit-controlled and spirit-produced unity, which is rooted in truth. Unity is a popular word, but there are many wrong ideas attached to the word. Please listen to Pastor Jim as he presents today's slice of this week's message entitled, The Worthy Walk of Oneness, Part 1. Today we get to enter what you might call Volume 2 of the book of Ephesians, the second half of it, beginning with Chapter 4. Passing through the white space in your Bible between the end of Chapter 3 and the beginning of Chapter 4 is sort of like graduating from school into real life. It's graduation from theory into practice, from foundation to the building, from the drawing board to the groundbreaking ceremony. People have come up with vivid ways to describe it. They say Longfellow could take a worthless sheet of paper, write a poem on it, and make it worth thousands of dollars. Well, that's genius. Rockefeller can sign his name to a piece of paper and make it worth millions. That's capital. Uncle Sam can take paper, stamp an eagle on it, and make it worth $100. That's, that's money. A mechanic, skilled mechanic, can take material worth $5 and make a gadget worth $50. That's skill. An artist can take a piece of canvas, paint a picture on it, and make it maybe worth thousands, and that's art. But God can take a sinful life, wash it in the blood of Christ, put His Spirit in it, and make it a blessing to humanity and get Himself glory for eternity. That is salvation. When we come to uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, we're going to start to see what to do in light of what we've seen in three chapters. Remember that two-word theme of Ephesians, in Christ, occurs 27 times? Well, now we're going to talk about what to do because we are in Christ. And as we enter chapter 4, the, the first 16 verses have a theme that tie them together. The theme is unity. In this sermon and the next time we come to Ephesians and we finish the rest of the sentence that is in the first three verses, we're going to see the ingredients of unity. Then verses 4 through 6 is the theology of unity, followed by the diversity that comprises our unity, followed by the functioning of our unity, 
as we interact with each other, and then the fruits of our unity in verses 13 through 16. Now, you need to understand that this spiritual unity that we have in Christ is not something we create. It's not something mechanical. It's not something external. It is internal. It is supernatural. You cannot superimpose spiritual unity on people apart from the life of Christ. It comes from the power of Christ indwelling each believer. It is a a spirit-controlled, spirit-produced unity which is rooted in, in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are part of this unity. Now, unity is a very popular word, but there are some very wrong ideas attached to it. Uh, to, to many Christians, the idea of unity is primarily just maintaining the status quo. We say we have unity as long as we always do everything the way we've done it and no one is offended. And so if nobody rocks the boat, we have unity, the status quo. Those people don't understand that status quo is the Latin phrase that means the mess we're in. Uh, Unity in Christ is always going to be accompanied by change and growth and progress and multiplication and evangelism, and it's always going to be a dynamic thing. The the ecumenical movement seeks a a kind of unity that is a pseudo-unity. Theirs is based on sweeping aside all the boundaries of doctrine and ultimately creating a worldwide church by means of compromise and then imposing an organizational structure over all churches. That one's going to finally have its heyday uh, right after the rapture of the church. But it, now it just has its seedlings sprouting around the world. The charismatic movement seeks unity, but it's not unity based on truth. It's unity based on having the same experience or the same set of experiences. And again, doctrine is largely swept aside. Various parachurch movements seek unity based on focusing on specific individual goals and avoiding the the tough issues and focusing only on the things that they want to accomplish. Now, there may be unity in such movements, but it's an unrealistic unity because it doesn't uh, encompass the entirety of the body of Christ. I came to the Lord just before I went into college, and I remember being in a college group at church and Bible studies in college, and I thought, oh, this, this Christian unity, this is wonderful, and it was easy to have. We all had the same interests. We were all within three years of each other's age. We all had the same worldview. We didn't, frankly, give a rip about the 78-year-old that had just gone into the hospital for the final time. You understand? There, you can't just be, claim your unity when it's so limited. True unity comes only when God's people are grounded in truth and walking by the Spirit. Any unity that requires you to set aside certain truth is pseudo-unity. It's something less or something other than biblical unity. Uh, About the time I was invited to start teaching things in Russia, uh, another organization invited me to go and do a very similar thing, go and teach for several weeks in a 
in, in another country, and they wanted me to, uh, to teach some, some doctrines. And then uh, uh, they let me know, when it comes to baptism, you must give equal treatment and totally balanced treatment to all the different views of baptism. When it comes to the end times, you have to give equal treatment, equal validity to all of them. So in other words, I said, you want me to go teach that God said, when it comes to the end times, my view is... It doesn't matter. You can, you can contradict your brother in Christ and you can both be totally right. That's not unity. Unity starts with truth based in Christ and then it's worked out in practice. Now, I just gave you the outline of the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are doctrine, truth. The next three are very much a matter of our practice in Christ. Now, for chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see the worthy walk of oneness. Now, it's almost Scott Basolo-esque to make it sound that good, but it's not three W's. It's just a homophone that sounds like three W's, but it fits. The command is in verse 1, walk worthy. That's all the farther we're going to get today. And then I I had to think of this the week before I have knee surgery, right? After walk worthy, keep the proper gait. I am so looking forward to walking with a normal gait. Amen, Dave? It's going to feel so good. Well, that's how we walk in unity. With all humility, all gentleness, patience, tolerance, and diligence. We'll get to that in in due time when we come back to our next visit to Ephesians chapter 4. So walk worthy, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now talk about a significant therefore. What did he say just before this? Remember the end of the previous chapter? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, don't disconnect this. This is the... This is how tightly the first half of this book and the second half is tied. Chapters 1 through 3 is all about who we are in Christ. Remember there was only, I think, one or two commands in the first three chapters, and the main one was, remember? Now we're going to get an avalanche of commands as we build through chapters, especially 5 and and 6. If you want to make a comparison... The therefore in Ephesians 4.1 is a lot like the therefore in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 1 through 11 is the loftiest, lengthiest piece of doctrine in the whole Bible. And then chapter 12 starts out with, therefore, my beloved brethren, in light of the mercies of God, here's what you need to do. Ephesians 4.1 is exactly like that. So he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, and literally that's the prisoner in the Lord, Paul's a prisoner, but he belongs to the Lord, and the reason he's in prison is all about his ministry, so this is God's will for his life. If you remember what he already said in chapter 3, he began that chapter with, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. I I am fine with being in prison 
because it is for the sake of the ministry that God has given to me. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.